Tonight's talk um, is on the effects of the meditation technique on the rest of our lives. <coughs> and sometimes I like to go back. Um, sometimes we get out there on a limb, a dharmic limb, and I like to go back to the root system of the practice. And uh, comparable to sort of practicing the fundamentals of a sport, how to pass, how to shoot, how to dribble, or whatever your sport might be. Because I, I think no matter how sophisticated or how long we've been practicing or how experienced we are, there's always something we can regain by looking anew at what we're doing. And also considering the fact that we were recently joined by a number of fairly new students. <clears throat> I think this is a, a talk for everyone to be able to understand. So the question I want to ask tonight is how does the meditation practice, the technique itself of sitting, the things we do within the sitting technique actually have an effect on the rest of our life? What qualities are nurtured what qualities are conditioned while we sit and do the different um, forms of the training on our life? Now, uh, we just got finished with a 20-week series on the paramitas. And the paramitas, of course, are the cultivations of the qualities that come when, when we're aware. They're naturally inbred within uh, and integrated within the body and mind through our ability or willing to attend. But so I'm not going to talk about the paramitas. I want to talk about some other aspects of how the meditation transforms us. And very specifically, the sitting meditation. The sitting meditation is extremely difficult practice for people. For you or I, to discipline ourselves to sit for 30, 45 minutes a day, day after day after day, often having no basis to, uh, of any sense of um, improvement that is occurring or any sense of anything occurring differently than it's occurred year after year in our life, uh, doesn't um, lead itself naturally to um, inspire us to sit. We, just don't, we don't know what's going on here. We don't know why, why we're doing what we're doing. We hear about the effects. We hear uh, how it will lead to this or that. But we may not have actually um, had that experience. <clears throat> and so what, what are the effects of the meditation long term prolonged effects of just the willingness to persevere morning or evening after day after day after day. What, what occurs there? And we're not just talking about, we're talking about a graduated insight. Insight sometimes arises in practice very suddenly. You see something very dramatically and it can be almost like an aha experience. Uh, but more often, it's a, it's a kind of a gradual experience of insight where you suddenly just have integrated something and you don't really know from where it has come, but
but a different approach or a different stance to life, a different way of relating to the tr troubles or difficulties uh, uh, in your life, the problems that occur. And so I want to talk a little bit about the character development as well as the graduated insight that occurs in this meditation technique. Now, it's often um, interesting to me, and I just saw this, read this in the paper, that the qualities that are most admired by the general population, and some of those qualities were um, honesty, openness, flexibility, kindness, compassion, and authenticity. Now, those are not necessarily the qualities that are engendered through, engendered through, our, uh, through most work life businesses, is it? Isn't it interesting that we hold in high esteem not the qualities that we practice in our business, but some um, aspiration towards qualities that we don't even feel like we necessarily cultivate in our lives at all. And yet the meditation practice has at its heart of hearts the very cultivation of those qualities of mind and heart. And yet it's, we'll easily go off and spend eight hours working and cultivating whatever qualities of character that our work engenders and hesitate towards a 30 or 45 minutes a day of the other. Because we don't see why we're doing it. It's not, the awards aren't immediate in terms of a paycheck. But I ask each of you to remember that people die in character. And if the only character that we have lived with is the character of our working life, then we have to ask ourselves what character we're going to die with. And whether that character, the character that we have now, is how we would like to die. So let us look at what we actually do in meditation and how this brings forth and ripens the qualities of mind and heart that would lead towards perhaps a character that we would like to die with. So the first instructions that are given. First let me say that one of the reasons that the meditation practice, the sitting practice, when I talk about the meditation practice, I'm mainly talking about the sitting practice, uh, remains uh, so difficult and elusive and, and, um, and hard uh, uh, to actually um, do day after day is because we, um, we, we sort of take it out of context. We think it's something that we're doing and then the rest of the day is really where it's at. And the meditation is sort of something extra, something that we try to fit into our day rather than the heart of the day in which we then allow that 45 minutes to express itself in the other aspects of the day. It's rather like a burden that we put on ourselves that we try to fit in. And so already, um, in relating to meditation in this way, 
we see it as um, another uh, thing we have to work, another uh, period of work we have to do. Rather than, rather than the inspiration for the rest of the day, rather than for the, the tone, to set the tone of the rest of the day, And it's difficult for everyone, but it's especially difficult if you never do anything but have a daily sitting practice where you don't go on to day-longs uh, day or weekend retreats or week-longs or do some of the prolonged sitting, which really does encourage and motivate the daily sitting, enhance the effects of the daily sitting, but also motivate the discipline towards it. So I really encourage people uh, to look at their schedules and see if they could work in uh, the non-residentials or the day-longs or the residentials that we do and offer here at, in Seattle Insight. But let's just look now. Let's just take the meditation apart and look at the qualities of mind and heart that are nurtured in the technique. Okay, so we start the technique as we sit. First instructions that are given are to relax. Already, the tone is set. Just the relaxation, softening the mind, relaxing the body. Yesterday, uh, uh, Ellen and I were uh, going out to um, a concert in the evening. And as I usually do, I, I'm a, a forward leaner and she's a backward leaner. And so I'm already thinking I'm late an hour before the concert begins, trying to rush out of the house and get there. And suddenly in the middle of that sort of uh, angst, I just stopped. And I said to myself, OK, now what's the hurrying for? What's the purpose? What's the motivation of my hurrying? Well, it was so that I could get to the concert and have some ease. <laughs> and not be bothered by time, to be able to be relaxed, to have a pleasant time rather than uh, a time that feels bounded by being late and getting or all that. And then I began to realize, it was an insight, it wasn't an intellectual process, that carrying the weight of speed and haste prohibited the very sense of ease that the effort was trying to make. I can't, I mean, just, like, just saw that in an instant. And then I thought, but if I bring ease to the movement, to the actual movement of getting from there, here to there, then I'll obviously arise with, arrive with ease. But the mind doesn't work like that. It doesn't work insightfully. It works intellectually, thinking that it has to hurry up to get there, to have the space, to have the ease, rather than to bring the ease into the movement itself. Now, that did not come. That came through my meditation practice. That came from basing my meditation in relaxation, the understanding that relaxation holds Relaxation is the container that can hold all of life. 
and angst, anxiety, and tension limits the narrowing of that container to just a drop. And so to broaden out, to expand the environment, relaxation is essential. Is essential. When we're relaxed, <coughs> there's pause. Think of it for a moment. When we're relaxed, there's a pause. Another way to say it is there's refrain. There's the opportunity to just pause and refrain. And so when we base our meditation technique, our practice in meditation, we're learning how to pause and how to refrain. And all of the precepts, the Buddhist precepts, refrain from taking life, refrain from taking that which is not offered. Refrain is the ability to pause so that you can see the conditioned reflexes occurring within that pause, so that you have some way to see the conditioned tendencies that leap into that, to that space, to that pause. Without the relaxation, you have no space for us to have any sense of how the conditioning is coming forth. And so the so important, and yet early on in the practice, as it was taught in the West 25 years ago, it wasn't taught in a relaxed way because the teachers at that time, because they were very young in their own teaching and as a student in the Dharma, they were teaching it as something to really get into gain. And when you have to get into gain, like you have to get to the concert on time, you, you think that the rush intention of the, of the hurriedness is the very uh, movement towards the endeavor that you seek, but it blocks the endeavor. And so let us just, and so I, I took that because it's such a simple yet profound insight to have about one's life. And if we keep working with relaxation, it will keep having a deeper and deeper effect on how it works within one's life. So I made that the homework. I didn't make it complicated. It's holiday season. <laughs> I invite the pause of the holiday season. The pause to occur rather than the rush. If it doesn't happen <coughs> when all of these traditions, this month is really an amazing month in terms of all of the traditions that make December you know, a festive occasion. But festive occasion by itself is a pause from the ordinary occurrence of life. And so engendered within festivities, within the holidays, is a kind of pause. It's a day off. So let us use that and the homework, as simple as it may be, don't pass it over, oh, this is so, uh, take it seriously. Let us see what it means to truly relax in, and therefore expand not only the sitting practice into our daily lives and integrating those insights, but really moving with that sense of 
of ease. That ease, again, allows the receptivity through which all of the other meditation techniques occur. Without the foundation, without the platform of relaxation, receptivity is only partial, if at all. Because you can't look at where you're going and expect to receive what is. You're too focused, your eyes are too caught on the expectation of what's going to occur rather than to fully embrace what is occurring. So we have to not have distant eyes, but immediate eyes. And that can only happen if there is an atmosphere and an attitude of ease and relaxation. Hmm? So softness of mind, physical relaxation. As I speak it, feel it in your own bodies and minds as we go through this. Don't leap ahead of me. Walk with the talk through the actual sense of ease. The second instruction of the meditation, once the body is relaxed and the mind is soft, is for us to bring our attention and place it upon a moving object that's always with us, that is our breath. So what we're doing is allowing our attention to be caught with the same ease and relaxation that the body is now experiencing. We stop the frenetic movement of, that occurs in inattention as we flip from idea to idea to sight, sound, smell, and taste, forming the problems and generating the worry and anxiety of our lives. We now learn to just take our attention and simply settle it upon one object. And immediately when we do that, we are hit with the conditioned resistance of the mind to settle on anything. The mind, by its very nature, needs and breeds upon inattention. It is through inattention that the mind captures and cultivates the sense of worry and drama and problems that form the basis of who I am. So when we're willing, and we're not even always willing to do this, if we're honest, we'd rather just think, keep our life going through the thinking. You can just feel it keeping going. As long as we're in the thought, our life just keeps going. It's either back where it used to be or ahead where it's going to be, or working out problems or relationships or work or, and we'll just let it drift like that because what's the purpose of coming back to the breath? Isn't it in the thoughts that all the juice of life really is? And so we'll just let it drift like that. And yet not realizing that until I can see, until I can train some steadiness, some ability to stop within myself holding attention to one thing, to an arrest position, that nothing is going to be seen. Try looking out the side of your car down at the pavement as you go 60 miles an hour. It's very different than stopping your car and looking out the side of the window. But that's very analogous to the way we usually travel through life as opposed to our willingness just to stop. Stop and see. 
a funny thing happens when we do that. Suddenly, life becomes very approachable. It begins to affect us. Another word, intimacy. Things become very intimately felt, very intimately lived with. That cannot happen as long as we're skipping through our ideas. And as soon as we come to the willingness to stop and just hold the moment, to hold the breath, without any other worry or expectation, just the breath, immediately the mind presents another whole series of problems because it'll do anything to keep you off the breath, remember. Its intention is to keep you unawake, unattentive. So it brings forth its next wave of armored vehicles called boredom and restlessness. Oh, I, what, this is, and all of the disgruntledness and irritations that we live with are just rocks on the road to being able to steady ourselves. Just list, just, okay. And so we have to be stronger than the objections the mind takes to attention, towards attention. Okay, I'm bored. It's boredom. Now, boredom, what it's trying to do is to get you to move again, away from the breath. So I'm bored. Hell, I'm not going to do this. See, we're skipping, we're running with the boredom, and we're all flying again. Now, where's excitement here? Because boredom, by its very nature, creates a movement towards something that is more excitable. Well, thought. Of course, of course. What have I been doing this stupid meditation? Let me think. <laughs> Back again, we go into our thinking. Or we get up. This isn't working. I've got wash to do. <laughs> You're laughing because it's true. <laughs> hmm? It's true. So we have to be stronger than that. You see what it requires? It requires, if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know the qualities that are being engendered through your willingness to stop with the breath, why would you do it? I'm out of here. And if you don't know the wave, of mind problems that any time you stop is going to be created by its very nature of trying to stop, you know, just any time, it's so against the fabric of what the mind believes is important. Stopping? I'm into performance. And the other thing, see, all these, just listen, because these things start, if you get over the hump of the beginner, who is just learning how to work the mechanics of the meditation and is thrown off quite easily when boredom hits or something else strikes, if, you, if, you, if, we, if we're willing to get over the hump of what it means to be beginner and we cultivate a little experience, you start these qualities that are being understood in the meditation begin to expand into your life. 
So you begin to see the value of stopping periodly, period. The other thing it does when we stop, and we begin to notice this, is that it begins to take the charge off of things. My life, if I'm not festering in my juices of drama, if I'm not cooking, boiling in the stew of my drama, suddenly I can be on the breath and and there's such a simplicity, such an ease of being, such a quieting effect that the problems don't have any reference to that moment of quietude at all. It just stillness. And suddenly we realize, over time we realize this, not the first time this happens, but over a long period of time, that the problems are created with the tension that we have towards stopping and are created through the need to continue to move and to think. And so we're beginning to understand that a new context can come out of our lives through our willingness to focus and just pay attention to something. The other thing that happens is that our mind gets soft and gentle. And we start feeling that sense of gentleness of being, softness of heart, and gentleness of being. So that when you wake up out of the meditation and a breeze touches your cheek if you're outdoors, or you see a beautiful flower in front of you, or you're just hearing the rain on the roof, there's a moment there where the softness of heart also participates intimately with that resonance. Just being. And that is the very qualities that people say they so wish. But that's not really my life. Very quickly, the context of the greater life's needs become predominant, and we're out of that secondary sensitivity. What is it? And that's a secondary. That's just, you know, I've got more primary things to do, and we're off and running. We come out of it too quickly, just allowing that softness of vision the softness of, when, when you, after you sit, just looking up softly with the eyes, letting the eyes be soft. You just see things softly. Instead of coming out of it so quickly, why not just let the day unfold from that sense of softness? And the instructions then go on to say that when we do get lost in the busyness of our mind, which we all do as we sit, first let's come back to the sense of relaxation before we go right back to the breath. The sense of relaxation dissipates the cultivation of hardened attitudes about ourselves. The attitude of, oh, what's the matter with me that I can't stay on the breath? I'm failing at this like I failed in all of life, or whatever our particular disgruntled ideas are, that very quickly, as soon as we are off task, very quickly, all of the off tasks of our lives 
the attitudes that have been, we've embroiled ourselves in come to the forefront. And we see the self-dislike and the self, oh God, and, the, and the, just the sense of defeat. So if we go to the relaxation, the problem is that we see the relaxation dissipates that. If you stay relaxed, stay gentle with you, just stay gentle, stay relaxed, stay soft, and it's not there anymore. Now we don't, we're too busy thinking that that old um, self-belief is really who we are and that this is somehow meditation engendered and isn't really who I am. So I, we go right back to believing the self-dislike rather than this quiet that's here. We think this is some kind of mystic interference. The noise is the thing. But that is not so. There is no moment that defines us. And we can see that we begin to see, as I come back to the quietness of the breath, first through relaxation, relaxing away those attitudes so that I don't carry anything back to the breath. I just bring the simplicity of just being. Nothing carried. No attitude, no predisposed way of thinking about myself in meditation, just the simplicity and innocence of returning. See, we're born again. True Christmas in that moment. Feel it. Feel it. When you re receive something, because when I talk about learning, I mean receiving. When we truly receive something, there is the essence of innocence. That is the essence of spiritual, of our spiritual life. When I'm rushing in with opinions and ideas, I'm so sophisticated that nothing of innocence can get in. And that's how we usually move through the world. Not with innocence, but with sophistication. So my willingness not to allow these old attitudes to create and form my world again and again is the birth of the Christ child. We just keep having our, an abortion. We keep dispelling that Christ child out, feeling that we're not really together as a person without our sophistication, our ideas, our philosophies, our, and we rush out of that innocence just holding it, just feeling, just letting it, just letting ourselves be nurtured in the receptive moment, the gentleness, the gentleness. You see how that the whole way the practice is outlined has the intention of bringing us into this innocence. Not 20 years from now, but now, and I see that it's really impossible to stop thinking and just be in that. And again, my mind gets lost and over and over again, 10,000 times three. So I, I, just have to, I, I just have to be, I just have to keep bringing it back. 
I just have to have patience. And with the patience comes the cultivation of self-kindness. Okay, I can be patient with this. How else am I going to get arrive at the character of my death? And as I began more and more to let go of the context of my thinking and come back to the simplicity of my breathing, I began to discover, to discover that there's a new way of knowing things. I begin to discover that, not overnight, not in the first X number of days or months of practice, but over time, I began to arrive at a different formula for knowing, rather than the formula of the intellect. It's a different kind of knowing. It's a knowing. It's an inward knowing. It's a knowing of direct clarity, of direct sight. The other thing that I begin to see as my mind has less context within its thinking and bringing itself more into the quietness of the breath, the next thing I learn is that time and all the pressures of time and all my angst of my past, and all of the regret and shame, and all of my worry and anticipation of future, begins to become much lighter. It's just much, much lighter. It doesn't, it's not a burden, as much of a burden. It's as if we're unpacking. You're on a long backpack, and you have 30 days of food that you're carrying. And every day you eat 1 30th of your load. And as we sit, the load of time becomes lighter just through the doing. Just through, oh, oh, okay. Okay. Okay, so now the next instructions for the sitting is not just to stay on the breath, but to go with what's ever predominant in one's experience, bringing care and attention to whatever is there, and just allowing it to be as it is, as it's expressing itself, without judgment. Well, I've, I've sort of summed up the qualities of such. We don't think that those qualities are actually being cultivated as we sit, but when I'm not fighting or struggling about something, when I'm not judging it, when I'm allowing something to be what it is, just what it is, In that moment, I'm also allowing myself to be just what I am. Because I struggle with what the objects of my life, the principal players, the environments, because of my internal reactivity and aversion to this mind and body. And as I'm more willing to go out and just settle with something, just be it, just see it. I can only see it for the first time, perhaps, free of my judgments and opinions, which is really the innocence of seeing rather than 
the complications of knowing, the innocence of seeing, I can just let it be what it is. And I'm learning over time to let things be what they are. Just let them be. Let me be who I am. Let you be who you are. Let things be. Isn't that the essence of how to live? The essence of love? Just let it be. Let it be. Just you can, all, you can feel all of the sense of relaxation, which was our first. You see, these things carry right on through. It's not that I've passed by relaxation now and I'm moving on to something else. Relaxation permeates the entire process, as does attention permeate the entire process, as does non-judgmentalness, as does kindness, as does just the willingness to let things be. And we see objects are harmless. Objects are harmless. My God, what a revelation to know that I can feel something and it doesn't mean anything. That it has no ill intent. Isn't that interesting? There's no ill intent in, a, in an emotion. I can let an object be. It's harmless. And mystery of mysteries, I'm harmless as well. And I've always held myself in such check, such disregard. I've tethered myself away from the things that I've felt to be so harmful within me. I've closeted those areas. I'm suddenly beginning, as these objects come up, and I just deal with them one at a time, carrying attention to each and everything, a thought, an emotion, a feeling, a sensation, just seeing it. Okay. Okay. It's harmless. And making no demands upon it, and therefore the inward trauma of my own self-demands are no more. Care and attention. Life lived on its own terms. Care and attention. Bringing care and attention. Just care and attention. Not dismissiveness or negation. Not the rude quality. The impolite quality that we give most of life. We don't even give it time to be seen. We don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. Here we have time for everything. Suddenly our eyes open up to the subtleties of life that have henceforth been passed over because they don't mean anything. The only thing that means something is my pursuit of where I'm going. But I'm learning now that what is is where I'm going, not some illogical goal. Just this. Now we're not finished with the practice yet. The next phase of the practice is to be present with everything that arises in choiceless awareness, <coughs> pristine awareness. Suddenly, we begin to realize that the things of the world, the objects that are coming through the consciousness, the spaciousness, are any more important than the spaciousness itself. 
that creating that inward spaciousness in which things are arising, rather than singling out any particular event as being more important than the other, the mind comes to a steady quality that allows all things to arise, all surrounded by space. Then when I open my eyes from that, I see space and other people and space to be connected in ways that we cannot possibly see if I'm just worried about what you think of me or trying to get something from you in which I objectify the world. But just taking the objectiveness out of the world, space, form, and formlessness come together. What do we think we mean by oneness? That everything becomes homogenized in some kind of blur? Or that it's somehow what we see from a different landscape? This is wise view. This is what the Buddha is talking about when he says, release yourself from the world and know presence, know the unconditioned. It's like having a photograph and you look at the photograph and you see Aunt Mary and Uncle John and Cousin Tim, but you don't see the paper because we've only been trained to look at the objects and the forms of the world and not the underlining formlessness of the paper itself. And so we learn through not, through the relaxation of letting everything come just as it comes, through not objectifying the world and allowing space to manifest in this choiceless way through the meditation technique, the practice, to see the whole thing as paper. There's never been an instant when it hasn't been paper. <coughs> that it's all just this. And when I get back into the hunkered down, bunker mentality of fighting and antagonism, then I lose all of that. And to refresh myself every morning with 45 minutes becomes the kernel, becomes the, the posture from which whence the rest of my day unfolds. It doesn't become a burden that I'm putting on the day, something I have to do or I'm a bad meditator and I shouldn't go to Sims this week, <laughs> but something that feeds the day. And it feeds the day in multiple ways. And however it feeds the day, let it feed the day. What's well, not feeding it with oneness I'm just feeling a little more settled. Let it feed the day with settledness. Because all of that manifests our qualities in the manifestation of this oneness. All of it generates a movement towards the most profound truths. So let us all together 
regardless of what understanding we have or where we think we are in the practice. Just be still. Can we sit for a minute or two? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.